Uh, Heavenly Father, in the Psalms, uh, you remind us that your word is sweeter than honey, sweeter than honey in the taste of our mouth. And Father, we pray that we would have that view of your word tonight, that we would see its sweetness, uh, that we would desire to listen to it, desire to let it change us, desire to let it teach us. And so we pray as we look at this story of King Hezekiah that we will learn from your word tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the things I think is really helpful for Christians, one of the things I love to do and one of the things I love to encourage other people to do is to read and hear the stories of faithful people who've gone before us. Uh, And of course you can go all the way back to the Bible for faithful people and you may remember early in the year we studied the book of Hebrews, we got to that chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, where it listed out all the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament uh, and where to learn from their example, where to learn from their faithfulness. Uh, so the examples you might want to go and read about might be the great ones from history. As I got here to church this morning, there was someone actually sitting at the back of church, not when church was on, but uh, before church started, reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. You might have heard of this book. Uh, it's the story of all these people throughout all history who have died for their faith in Jesus. Uh, and one of the first stories in that book is the story of a guy, Polycarp of Smyrna, who uh, was one of the first people to be martyred for the faith, after the people we read about in the book of Acts, of course. Uh, He would not deny the name of Jesus. He was an old man. And they said to him, just say you don't believe in Jesus. Just just say you're going to worship the the Roman emperor as God instead. And he wouldn't do it. And so they burned him at the stake and he died for his faith. Well, you've probably heard me talk many times the story of Martin Luther, who stood up for the the truth of God's word uh, and, and started what we call the Reformation Uh, And he stood against everyone, the whole church of his time, but stood up for what God's word is true. Uh, One of my heroes is Thomas Cranmer, who took advantage of the political situation in England under Henry VIII, and he reformed the Anglican church. The reason we are a church that loves the Bible is going back all the way to him. He stood up. He was persecuted for it. These are great heroes of church history. Uh, But also, for many of us, we have people we look up to in our own lives. No one knows who they are. No one one will ever write a book about them. It might be that lady who faithfully taught you Scripture, uh, and that's how you became a Christian. It might be that brother here at church who pushed past your reluctance and almost made you read the Bible with him. Uh, And that's what actually spurred you on to to grow uh, as a Christian. Because the thing is, no one other than you has heard of those people. But the reality is they are heroes and they will have crowns in glory, which is just wonderful. They will have crowns, just like Martin Luther, just like Thomas Kremner. Well, so far in 1 and 2 Kings, remember we looked at 1 Kings last year, 2 Kings this year. So far in 1 and 2 Kings, we've been hard-pressed to find any of the kings you would call a hero of the faith. Any kings who you would even find anything positive to follow. There have been heroes in these books they've tended to be the great prophets. Remember, we've met Elijah and Elisha, these great men of God. They've been heroes. But what I've actually loved in Two Kings especially is how often it's the ordinary people, the people you don't even know the name of, who are the heroes. Remember how the the widow who was faithful in the time when there was no one else faithful in all of Israel, the, the young girl who sent Naaman to find salvation back in Israel. But the kings have been hopeless. So what has been the line we have heard over and over again with every king we have met? They did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Well, finally today, we are meeting a king who's worth following. This is a great moment in the book of 1 and 2 Kings. A hero king, his name is Hezekiah. 
It's my great disappointment that uh, no one names their babies Hezekiah anymore, but there you go. Maybe you can change that. But anyway, Hezekiah is a hero of the faith, and it's wonderful if you look how 2 Kings actually slows down for his story. So you know how it's always been rushing through all these kings. It says they did what was evil, and that gives you one little story, moves on to the next. It's just done that king after king after king. Well, now it actually slows down and gives us three whole chapters. And as I say, I've been looking forward to today because I think you'll be really encouraged by this story. But I'd love you to then go away and read all the chapters. I hope you've been reading along in 2 Kings each week as we look at a couple of chapters. We, we can't look at all. Read along uh, because I think you'll love this story. Well, let's get into it. Come with me. Chapter 18, verse 1. And I've called it Hezekiah, the new David. So as we've been reading about all these kings in Israel, I said before, what's been the summary of them all? Well, for Israel, everyone did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And the, the particular evil they did was the evil of idolatry. They did not lead the people in worshipping God alone. They allowed idolatry to flourish in their land. And so God judged Israel. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, the end of Israel. It's all over for Israel. But now we've just got Judah, the southern kingdom, and it's been much of the same. King after king after king. And occasionally there was a good one, like Jehoshaphat or Jotham, when it said, what did it say? They did what was right in the Lord's eyes. That's, that's the line to look for in this book. They did what was right in the Lord's eyes. But even so, for every one of them, even just those occasional good ones, it then also says, but not like David. A bit like, you know, if a mother has a favourite son and then the other son, just in case my mother's watching, I'm not going to say who it is in my family, but you, you know, you're, and then when the other son or the other child does something and they go, oh, that was good, but not as good as... It's a bit like that. These kings, they did all right, but not like David. And the issue was, there was never anyone like King David who wholeheartedly followed God. Who wholeheartedly followed God. And in particular, there's never never anyone who was willing to not just worship God themselves, but to actually go out there and smash the idols. To actually get rid of the false religion, to lead the people in worshipping God alone. And now at last, though, we meet Hezekiah, and look what it says. Come with me. Chapter 18, verse 1. In the third year of Israel's king Hosea, son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. Jump to verse 3. It says, He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. I hope, as I say, if you've been with us through this whole series, I hope you see how big that is in the context of everything else. That line actually just jumps out just as his ancestor David had done. Because we started, could this actually be the son of David, the promised one? At last, here is a worthy descendant of David. And so what did Hezekiah do that was so wonderful? Come to verse 4. It says, he removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. So Hezekiah went out there and did what none of the other kings would be willing to do. He took on the false religion. He, he, he got rid of the false priests. He smashed their idols, smashed their shrines. But here's the thing, he didn't just smash the false gods. Look, look what it says next. It says, he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made. For the Israelites burned incense to it up to that time. He called it Nehushtan. See, what he did was, he didn't just smash the false idols. It's easy to point out what's wrong out there. He actually tore down the things that used to be helpful, but had become unhelpful in true religion. He, he actually tore down the things that are tied to the true God, 
but had become unhelpful. He was like what we often call the, the iconoclast during the Reformation. Remember I talked before about Thomas Cranmer uh, and Martin Luther. There were people who went into the churches and, and smashed the statues of Mary and said, we don't worship Mary. We, they, stats, they smashed the statues of Jesus because we don't make idols. And, and they, they actually smashed things and destroyed things that were unhelpful. And let me tell you, the world does not like that sort of a person. People resent that sort of a, a Christian leader. To this day, if you go on a tour of many of the churches in, in England, you will hear the tour guides whinge about the Reformation. So I got to go to England a couple of years ago, and there were several times where Victoria had to just quietly help me out the door because they were saying things. They were saying, oh, and can you believe this used to be so beautiful, but they smashed it in the Reformation. Like, Good on them. What are you whinging about? It's just a reminder, by the way, that truly faithful godly leaders will be iconoclasts. Truly faithful godly leaders will point out the unhelpful things we hold on to. They will smash our idols, if you like. They will upset people sometimes. People would have resented Hezekiah. They would have said, hey, God gave us that snake. Who are you to to smash it? They would have said, hey, we've been doing that with that snake since my grandmother's time. So like people say, oh, we've been doing that here in our church since. It doesn't make it right. Just remember this. If a Christian leader is universally liked, if a Christian leader never upsets anyone, he's probably not being faithful. They're probably not a faithful leader. But Hezekiah was a faithful leader and he copped it because of it. But that's what he did. But at his heart, why was he like David? Look at verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to Yahweh and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. See, this is what made Hezekiah great. He wholeheartedly followed God. He remained faithful to God. He lived by God's law. And here's the thing, God actually blessed Hezekiah's reign. God doesn't always bless the faithful. Sometimes the faithful face persecution. We're going to see that happen to Hezekiah. But at this time, he kept Judah free. Hezekiah wouldn't let them serve the foreign kings. And he reclaimed land that Judah had not held since the time of David and Solomon. Whatever else Hezekiah did, verses 1 to 8 say he's a hero. It's just like this wonderful summary. This is a great hero of the faith. But that's what makes the rest of these chapters so interesting. See, because we're now given an insight into a few of the major incidents of his reign. So you've got verses 1 to 8 saying, great guy, best king since David, no one as good as him before or since. And then it says, and I'm giving you three chapters, but then the three chapters are nearly all about what he does wrong. It's a bit strange. See, the truth is in each of these stories, he actually messes up most of the time. And I actually think that's really, really important, but we'll come back to that why later on. Now, I can't do with everything in these chapters. I'm going to guide us through, pull out some challenges and encouragements on the way, but then I'll draw together the big lesson we learn at the end. Besides that, I just want to say it's just a ripper story, so enjoy it, okay? So it starts with Jerusalem under siege, and this is from chapter 18, verse 13. So at this time, you've got to remember, Assyria was the world power. They were like the the nuclear power of of that time. And Sennacherib was their king. That's who you meet in this story. You've got Assyria and you've got Sennacherib, their king. And so Assyria is rampaging around the world, basically wiping out kingdom after kingdom. No one can stand in their way. Egypt was their only opposition. 
at that time, but Egypt was particularly weak and couldn't stand up to them at this moment. So you might remember last week, Assyria has already wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. So Israel in its capital in Samaria wiped out, the people taken into captivity all spread all around the world. Now they say, well, let's go and deal with Judah as well. So they come in and they start smashing all the towns of Judah and they arrive at Jerusalem. So what does Hezekiah do? How does he stave off the threat? Well, it's fair to say Hezekiah doesn't do very well. He offers to buy them off. And so they make a totally outlandish sort of ransom demand on him. And look at what he has to do to pay what they want. Look at verse 15. It says, so Hezekiah gave him all the silver found in the Lord's temple and in the treasuries of the king's palace. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's sanctuary and from the doorposts he had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Now, if you've been following along, as I say, last year in 1 Kings, this year in 2 Kings, you'll know every time the kings of Israel or Judah do this, it is never a good thing. God never wants this. It is a lack of faith that drives Hezekiah at this point to give up the things of God, the treasures of God, if you like, to buy off the, the, the enemies. And here is the thing, though, it never works. Every one of us here at some point has dealt with a schoolyard bully. Every one of us has been to school and every school has bullies. So we've all dealt with it. If you try to buy off a bully, what does he do? He comes back wanting more. He takes your lunch. He says, well, make sure your mum brings a sandwich I want tomorrow. Make sure she puts packets of chips in it tomorrow because that's what, I, that's what bullies do. And that's the point here. I want to say that point about bullies is so relevant to the church today. There are many modern Christian leaders who are trying to placate the world's antagonism to the Christian faith, to placate the world's antagonism to God uh, and to his word. Uh, and they say, we just need to tone down what the Bible says. If we just tone down what the Bible says on unpopular things, then people might want to be more friendly to Jesus. They might want to find out about Jesus. People might like to listen to us if we just tone down what the Bible says. Can I tell you, in a world that is out of step with God, that works as well as it did for Hezekiah buying off the Assyrians. When you tone down what the Bible says on marriage, for instance, the world just says, well, we don't like what you say on gender. And then you say, well, we'll tone down what the Bible says on gender. And they say, well, we don't like what you say about judgment. And then you tone down what the Bible says on judgment. They say, we don't like what you say about Jesus. And before you know it, you've denied the truth of the gospel. Sadly, that is what so many modern church leaders including in sadly in our denomination in Australia at the moment are trying to do they're trying to buy off the bully I want to say you don't bother just stand up for God's word from the beginning which is what Hezekiah wished he had done here he should have just stood up and trusted God but he tries to buy off the bully so Sennacherib takes his money and says here you go now I'll send a massive army and it's led by these three guys with the great titles, the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh. I just love those three names. I'm just going to say them over and over again in this sermon because I just love saying them. It sort of makes me think one must have been a Scottish general, one like Turkish pizza, it sounds like there, but the Tartan and the Rabshakeh. But anyway, they lay siege to Jerusalem and the Rabshakeh, which is my favorite name and I'll keep saying it, he was like this, this great general this great official of the Assyrians, he makes these mocking speeches. He actually stands outside the walls of Jerusalem and taunts Hezekiah and taunts the people of Jerusalem. Now, read all of chapter 19 later on. This guy is, was a great orator. 
a great speech maker. He, he tries to reason with Hezekiah. He tries to bribe Hezekiah out. Then he switches to trying to get the people to turn on Hezekiah. He's smart enough to know Hezekiah has caused some issues for his people. So he, he tries to turn them against him. He purposely speaks in Hebrew so they can all understand what he's saying. Uh, and, and he's pretty awful. If you look at verse 27, he basically says, hey, you know you're going to be eating your excrement in a few weeks because we're not letting any food into the city. Then down at verse 31, he says, hey, just get rid of Hezekiah and we'll let you have a great place where there's lots of lovely food to eat and lots of places to lie down and rest. But for all his clever words and all his military power, which had worked against every other country that they had rolled over the top of, he makes a big mistake here because he doesn't just mock the people of Judah. He doesn't just mock King Hezekiah. He mocks Yahweh. He treats the God of the universe with contempt. He compares the God of the universe to worthless idols. He says, none of the other nations' gods could save them. Do you think your so-called God, Yahweh, do you really think he can save you? You see, for him, the Lord, who created the heavens and the earth, is just another name for a block of wood, like Baal or Asherah or any of the others. And he doesn't know what he's done. This is a very sober point to make. God is not to be mocked. It's a lesson of this story. There are many people in our world today who will face an awful moment of truth on the judgment day. People who've used Jesus' name as a curse. People who've mocked God as an imaginary spirit in the sky. In fact, even just everyone like you and me, before we came to know Jesus, who mocked God by living our lives as if he didn't exist. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, the New Testament. It says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. It's a really somber truth. What we sow, our attitude to God now, we will reap on the judgment day. But we'll get to what happens to Sennacherib and his generals in a minute, because now we see Hezekiah's response. Come with me. Third heading, Hezekiah's response. If you're following on the outline, it says 1 Kings 19. That confused some people. They thought, oh, we've gone back in time. It's 2 Kings 19. Now it says, you see, at this point, Hezekiah was far from perfect. We've seen that already. Uh, but like David before him, when push came to shove, he kept his faith in God. And that's what you see here in chapter 19. And it's actually where Rab, the Rabshakeh's words work against him because it's like they finally make Hezekiah see what a fool I've been. Hearing God's name mocked makes him realise, why have I been trying to buy these people off? Why haven't I turned to God in prayer? Look at it. Chapter 19, verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the Lord's temple. So what he's doing there, that's repentance. He's repenting for his lack of faith. He's repenting for his own faith. He humbles himself and he approaches the Lord in prayer. Now, we're not going to read it all now, uh, but it's the same actually in chapter 20. Go read chapter 20. It's a famous story later on. Uh, in that chapter, Hezekiah learns he has a terminal illness and he prays to God to extend his life and God grants his prayer. He, he grants his request and extends his life by 15 years. And in both of these situations, when Hezekiah turns to God in his desperation and prays to God, God answers. 
You see there that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, but that's not because prayer is powerful. Prayer is just words. It's because the one we pray to is powerful. That's the lesson. Now, here's the thing, though. It was always God's will for Hezekiah to live as long as he did. It's not like Hezekiah's prayer changes God's mind. Uh, God knew how many years Hezekiah would live before he was even born. He's mapped out your life but before the beginning of creation. And it was always God's will to save Jerusalem at this point. He didn't need Hezekiah to pray for, to him for that to happen. He knew what his plans were for Jerusalem and for his people from the very beginning. It's this funny thing. God doesn't need our prayers, does he? He doesn't need our prayers. But somehow God in his sovereignty, and I think this is amazing... God somehow in his control of all things includes as part of that his faithful people praying to him. It's part of how he decides history will happen. His faithful people asking him for things is part of the way he brings them about. Now the fool mocks that and says, well, why bother praying that? God's already got it all sorted out. But the person who knows God says, wow, how wonderful and gracious is our God. How wonderful is our God that he includes my faithful prayers in his plans for all of history. I want to say, how could you not then pray to that God? And now you can read this wonderful prayer again in verses 15 to 19 of chapter 19. But the thing is, Hezekiah doesn't just pray. He goes to God's prophet. Remember, all through 1 and 2 Kings, what have the bad kings done with God's prophets? They've avoided them. Remember how, how the kings would go, oh, there's that troublesome prophet again, Elijah. Get me out of here. Get, get rid of him. Not the faithful person. The faithful person wants to hear God speak. That's actually true of us as well. When, when we are, uh, know we're doing the wrong thing, when we're walking away from God, we avoid hearing God speak. We, we stop coming to church. We stop reading our Bible. But the faithful person wants to hear God speak. Now, here's, this is, I find this amazing. God's prophet in Jerusalem at this time was Isaiah. As I say, I love this because I, this is the same Isaiah that we have the book of Isaiah, the longest book other than Psalms in the Bible. This is the same Isaiah. And, and I love this, the way the different books of the Bible fit together. And if you want a really rich Bible reading experience this week, I, I say to you, go read the parts of Isaiah that parallel this. You can read Isaiah 36 to 39 and then read these chapters of two kings and what you actually get is this wonderful picture of all these events from Isaiah's experience. And just as an aside on that, how a person as an adult can properly read the Bible, read the Old Testament uh, and see the way it fits together despite all its different human authors, which this is just another example of, how they can do that and then not see it for what it is truly astounds me. I find it amazing when people just write off the Bible with that. For the, the way the Bible fits together like this is either the greatest miracle and, you know, a one in a trillion miracle or it's the Word of God. But that's for another day. So Hezekiah goes to God's prophet Isaiah because he knows he needs to hear God speak. Now, of course, we're not Hezekiah. We don't have Isaiah on tap. But the model of faithfulness is the same for us, isn't it? And this is where Hezekiah is our model. If we trust God, we bring things before him in prayer and we listen to him speak by his word. That's what it is to be faithful. That faithfulness in the Christian life is not hard in theory. It's very simple. 
trusting God enough to turn to him in prayer and listen to him speak by his word. Which brings us to the fourth point, which is God's amazing response. And this is from 2 Kings 19, verse 20. Now, if you look from verse 20, God speaks through Isaiah, and this is my paraphrase, says, don't worry, Hezekiah, I'll teach these Assyrians who the real God of the universe is. And I'd love you to read this in full later on. It's just wonderful. He speaks actually to the Assyrians, the prophet Isaiah, and he says, who are you to mock the God of the universe? He reminds them that even though they think they worship other gods, they think all their victories have been because they worship these little idols. God says, any victory you have is because I decided it. I'm the God of the universe. And when you lose, it'll be because I decided you'd lose. And then he says what will happen here. So come with me to verse 32. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or build up an assault ramp against it. He will go back on the road that he came and he will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. And then look at what he says next. Why does God do this? Look at verse 34. I will defend this city and rescue it. He doesn't say because Hezekiah asked me to. He says, no, no, for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Why does God save Jerusalem? Yes, he loves his people. Yes, Hezekiah is faithful and prayed, but ultimately it's for his name's sake so that people will know that he is God and he is God alone. So that people would know that the God of Israel is no idol and not to be mocked. He is the true and living God. Just remember this. That is why God has saved you, by the way. That's why he saved me, saved all of us. Yes, he loves you. He chose you before the creation of the world. He sent his son to die for you and brought you to faith in Jesus. That is all true. But ultimately, God has saved you for his glory. That's why you're a Christian. God has called us out of darkness so that we might declare his praises. That's why we exist, to declare the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. And so to finish the story, come with me. What did God do? Look from chapter 19, verse 35. It says, that night, it's almost an anticlimax, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So the, Israel, the, the people of Jerusalem went to bed with an army all around them. They got up in the morning and there's dead bodies, as far as you can see. And it says, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. Now, we don't know how God did this. We're not given the details. It seems like it might have been some awful plague that went through the, the camp. But either way, he saved Jerusalem and he sent the Assyrians home with their tail between their legs. And then it says a little while later, Sennacherib was killed by his own children, which is exactly what other historical records say happened to him. Skeptics uh, point out that the Assyrian records don't record their army being destroyed outside of Jerusalem at this time. And they say, therefore, the Bible is, is making it up. So, you know, they dig and they find big sculptures and big uh, pictures of, of all these Assyrian conquerors. They can't find one of this. I just think that's really, really silly because none of these ancient kingdoms went home and built statues of when they got their backsides kicked. None of them did. And it's really, really telling that archaeology has found all sorts of records of a serious destruction of every other kingdom, but there isn't one about them destroying Jerusalem. 
And that's because the reality was, the reality of history is, Jerusalem survived. And what the Bible here is telling us why. It wasn't because of Hezekiah's military might, it was because of God. This brings me to our final point, which is Hezekiah and us. As I say, I hope you've learned lots out of this great story already as we've gone through. But to finish, what are we to take out of it, especially for you and me? Two things. First of all, an example of faithfulness. I think the first thing to see here is the example of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was not perfect. Hezekiah made lots of mistakes. And I haven't actually even pointed out his worst one. Right at the end of chapter 20, go and read this story tonight. Right at the end of chapter 20, it tells us some people came from a little country no one had heard of yet. And that country was called Babylon. And he said, welcome to Jerusalem. Come on a tour. He said, here are my treasures. And he showed them all the treasures of Jerusalem. Here's my armory. Come and have a look around. Make yourselves at home. It's like if someone knocked on your door and said, hey, you don't know me, but I'm, I'm new in the area. And you say, come on in. Here's my safe. And over in this drawer, I've got the codes. And you, do you want to find them? And, and here's where I keep the shotgun. That's a shame. I'm talking to an American audience at that point. But you, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like that. It's saying, come in and rob me. And because of Hezekiah's foolishness, that's why when Babylon grew and became the, the next world superpower, they said, hey, remember that silly guy who showed us all that treasure in Jerusalem? And they came and wiped Jerusalem out once and for all. So Hezekiah, far from perfect but he was faithful. Hezekiah trusted God even if sometimes he struggled. Even in his weakness, even when he made mistakes, he turned back to God in repentance, much like David. He sought to live for God, he sought to trust God and listen to God even in his weakness. You see, it's a reminder to me, the child of God is not perfect, this side of glory anyway. We will fail, we make mistakes, we sin, we don't try to, we don't want to encourage it, but we will. But the faithful person keeps turning back to God, keeps turning back to God in repentance and faith. The faithful person keeps trusting God, even in their weakness. Remember at the start of the sermon, I named some of the heroes of the faith, and I said, actually, all of them have massive flaws. So I mentioned Thomas Cramner, one of my heroes, when the Roman Catholic Church retook over England and tried to, to do away with the Reformation, they put him in prison. And they said to him, we're going to burn you at the stake. And they said to him, though, sign a statement saying you don't actually believe all the things you said. Sign, just sign a statement saying actually the Pope is the authority over the Bible. Just sign a statement saying you don't believe we're justified by faith alone. Just sign a statement. And in his weakness, under the threat of death, he signed it. He failed. This great hero was weak. But then he was overcome by guilt. And they actually got him up in a church in Oxford to read out a prepared statement they'd agreed for him to read, saying how he'd been wrong. And as he got there to do it, he said, I can't do it. And he actually didn't read out the statement. And instead, he said, when you burn me at the stake, I'm going to put this unworthy hand that denied Jesus in the fire first. And they took him out on the streets of Oxford. You can still go there today. You can still find there's a little cross on the ground. And that's what happened. They dragged him out to burn him. 
And he stuck the hand that had denied Jesus into the fire first, as they burnt him alive. See, my point is, faithfulness is not perfection. It's ultimately just trusting God and his promises. The heroes of the faith, like Hezekiah, are not perfect, but in their weakness, they ultimately trust God and trust his promises. Which is what we want to do, isn't it? That's what makes him a great example. But that drives us to my final point, which is ultimately, though, let's follow the true son of David. Let's follow the true king. See, it tells us here, Hezekiah is the greatest king other than David that God ever had. This guy who made so many mistakes is the greatest king other than David. And that shows you why we need Jesus. See, ultimately, don't put your trust in heroes of the faith. Follow their example, but you'll soon find they've always got flaws. Don't put your trust in a preacher like me. Most of you have known me old enough to know, known me long enough to know many of my flaws. You see, you will spot all people who you want to follow have flaws. Follow the perfect king. Jesus alone is the perfect king. He is the one we trust. And he is the only Lord who does not let anyone down. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, who alone is without sin, who alone died to pay the price for our sin. And so, Father, we pray that we would follow that true son of David, the one that David and Hezekiah were just pointing to, our Lord Jesus. But, Father, we also thank you for this example of faithfulness in Hezekiah, who even in his imperfection trusted you and turned back to you constantly in prayer and repentance. And we pray that we would walk in his footsteps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.